This is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you very much, Gary. Well, everybody, as much as we try to stay apolitical on this program, politics has now crossed into the realm of history. And here we are again, the day after an election day, and we still do not know who the next president of the United States will be. Will Donald Trump get a second term or will Joe Biden be the 46th president of the United States? Of course, today in the news cycle, everybody's saying it's the pangs of the 2000 election, the the hanging chads in Florida. Well, of course, last night, Florida was called for Donald Trump. Wisconsin and Michigan looked last night like they could go for Trump. Then Wisconsin was called for Biden. Michigan is just a couple of tens of thousands of votes away from going either direction. We don't know what's happening there. Pennsylvania, Georgia, still not called, but looking red. We do not know yet how this race is going to shake out. We're living history. And in fact, somebody who lived through the history of four years ago is my guest today, Mr. Sean Spicer. Now, let me qualify this by saying, try to stay apolitical, We talk about Sean's new book. I tried to stay apolitical on the show. Brought him on to talk about his new book, Leading America, which is the case for a second term for President Trump. We did this interview last week before the election. I decided to air it the day after the election to see how our conversation shakes out into what the reality of this situation that we we find ourselves facing happens to be. Again, I'll hammer it home. I try to stay apolitical. I do give my predictions on what I think is going to happen. Of course, Sean makes the case for Trump, but we really just try to delve into Sean's career pre and post working for the Trump campaign, how he got into politics, how he came to politics and the unlikely career that has followed. He's now a host of Spicer and Company on Newsmax television and they get all the big guests. He did an interview with Pompeo. And in my career working in cable television, I've gotten to know Sean and his team quite well over the last uh, few months. And uh, it's been certainly an interesting ride booking him across different shows at the networks I've been at and seeing what his, his opinions have been. So I just want to let you listen, present it unvarnished. Here now, our interview with Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer, author of Leading America and, of course, former White House press secretary, Newsmax TV host, Dancing with the Stars contestant. My goodness, sir, is there nothing you have not done? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure it wouldn't take long to find something, but uh, every once in a while I have to laugh and think I don't think any of that was uh, what I thought I'd be doing or would have done when I was 18 years old. Or 30 or probably 40. (laughs) What did you want to do when you were 18 years old, when you were going off to college? Did you always want to be in politics? You know, um, I kind of I hadn't really been bitten by the bug yet. I think I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, You know, I just I was interested in a lot of stuff. I remember at one point I I wanted to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And then I, I kind of honestly hadn't really figured out entirely what I wanted to do at that point in my life. Yeah. And uh, so how did politics come into your life? Carrie Stinson. It's an interesting question. I um, I went to college. I grew up really working class. And when I went off to college, it was in the um, well, I technically it was in the late 80s and then early 90s. And uh, Jap- Japan was on the ascent. And I had had a, uh, a high school teacher who said, you know, look, I know that you're 
always kind of uh, for lack of a word, struggling with with money. And you know, gosh, if you really wanted to make it right now, you'd go to college and you'd get a degree in Japanese language, and then uh, you know, learn some economic stuff, and you'd be off to the races. So I thought, okay, that's not a that's not that big of a deal. It can't be that hard. And uh, hmm. I went to college. I tried being a Japanese language major, and uh, apparently, it's a lot harder than you think. So. <laughs> So, um, so anyway, I, I, uh, I got like a D in Japanese, but I had taken this government course and kind of gotten bitten by the bug and, and, um, very liberal school. So they started talking about the role of government. I was like, I don't necessarily agree with that. And, um, and, you know, and suddenly I just, I, I literally had that epiphany moment where I felt, um, sort of, a uh, an intellectual awakening and kept thinking to myself, I, I enjoy this. So I, um. You know, I slowly taking courses and I volunteered in the Connecticut state legislature. I did, worked on some local campaigns and I, I really loved it. And so there and then I was like off to the races. Mm -hmm. Yes. And of course, you shot to fame as the first press secretary for President Trump. Now, before we get to this book and talking about it, I want to talk to you about your fame. Because it's so interesting to me. I, never before, at least in my following of politics, uh, has a press secretary shot to sort of pop culture prominence in the way that, that you have. What do you make of your pop culture relevance? You know, it's interesting that you ask that. So when I took the job, I, I joked I had been at the RNC for almost six years and I would probably done, you know, four or five hundred interviews on television. And uh, the closest I ever got to being recognized was in the sweater section of a Joseph A. Banks in Alexandria, Virginia, where the guy was like, I think, aren't you that Republican guy? <laughs> and um, and I, I thought that, you know, look, I figure when you're when you do this stuff, you know, maybe you get known. You have like kind of C-SPAN fame, right? Political yeah. junkies. Um, but I had no idea, uh, you know, that it would turn into the, to the way that it did. And um and and suddenly, you know, you're walking down the street and everybody knows you and has a very, very um, – how should we put this? Uh, definite opinion of you. Like they either mm -hmm. love you or they really hate you, but there was nothing in between. Do you think had it been any other president, you, you'd be on Dancing with the Stars? Do you think it's sort of the Trump no, populist? No, 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 no. Or look, bet, the idea yeah. – look, if you're a political junkie, yeah, uh, you might know, you know myself or Kellyanne or yeah. – Sarah Sanders or whatever, Dan Scavino. But now you have people literally in politics getting known for being in the in the White House. That's just it's never been the case. Right. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And of course, we're headed towards perhaps four more years of Trump. Maybe not. I try to stay a little apolitical on this show, but obviously having you let's get into some of this conservative politics and what you think Trump is doing really well for the American people. How is Trump leading America? Well, I mean, quite simply put, I think it's his policies. Um, yeah. and, and that's something that, that like, look, if you're a conservative, I, I was actually talking um, to my wife a few minutes before we dial started this. And I was telling her I was getting blood drawn today. Uh, and well, no, it's just, you know, a little prick. And yeah. but the, the woman said to me, she was a middle aged black woman. And um, and she said, you know, gosh, I really you know, she knew who I was <laughs> to your last question. And she said, you know, I'll tell you this right now. I love the policies. I can't stand, uh, you know, I don't like his style and how he talks, da, 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 da. but it was interesting because to your question, the policies are, are there people, I think by and large, like the Trump 
policies. It's mm-hmm. it's it's cutting taxes. It's empowering people. It's it's regulatory. All of those things are things that a lot of people really like. But the Trump policies are moving the country forward. And you think about what he's done for veterans, um, what he's done um, for the military, what he's done on foreign policy in terms of keeping his word and putting America first. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that um, that. Um, I, I think that you know a lot of times when you talk to voters, especially heading up to the election, there's a big difference between um, between what people think of President Trump as a person and his policies. And it, it is really interesting because when you get someone to focus on the policy, it's a vastly different conversation than when they're talking about the man. Sure. Sure. And I want to know because – you know, I have no issue with his policies. I, I'm again, I try to stay apolitical on this particular talk show. But what I've noticed is with the covid response, I I noticed that that became partisan right away. I don't even think he had a second to react, to respond before you were either mask or no mask. You were anti-quarantine or you were quarantined. What do you make of not just his response to the pandemic, but his ability in this media climate to do the job of a president and respond in a time of crisis? Well, it's, it's actually a great question because it just shows you how everything has become, you know, political, as you put it, because you it's 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 like everybody's got a breakdown on like a line. Right. So mm-hmm. I mean, if you think back five, six years ago, you could be like, oh, I'm very political. I really don't care. I don't even you yeah. can't do that now. You walk down the street, no. you either pro Trump or you're against them. There's no middle ground anymore. Um, and I think, you're, you know, to your point, that's the same thing with um, it's the same thing with the pandemic is that you can't you know, you can't be just sort of agnostic. You've got to be like you're either coming down very pro or against it. You are opener or a closer. You're a mask wearer or you're not. I mean, maybe that's a little simplified. But the reality is, is that you see people who are like, you know, yell at people for wearing a mask as if it's a bad thing. And then you've got other people who. You know, you know, anytime someone takes it off, thinks it's a horrible thing. And it's it's amazing how everything has gotten so bifurcated. You're on one side of the line or the other. Yeah. My favorite word. You said my favorite word, bifurcated. I use that word all the time. Now, here's an interesting question. Do you think the media has harmed our ability to recover from this pandemic quicker or easier than than we have? Let me explain, because you have the media and you have the doctors in the media saying, stay inside follow the rules, wear your masks, don't don't go out and be in large groups. And then you have other people, you have the doctors then, there was there's footage of B-roll of doctors literally, you know, face to face with protesters as they're walking down the streets applauding them because as you know, we've been doing the in New York, they were doing the seven o'clock clap for the for the for the frontline workers. Do you think the media has confused the message on the pandemic such that it's harmed our ability to recover? Well, it's not that they've confused it. What happens is they go out there and they've made it so black and white. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. We talked about this on my Newsmax show mm-hmm. uh, Thursday or Friday. You have Chris Cuomo who goes out there and is so you know, virtuoso. How could anyone not wear a mask? And the, he rails on the president over and over and over again. And then we, we learn that his own building is sending him a um, – I guess a letter saying that, you know, he has been reported over and over again, not wearing a mask. And the point is, is that these folks in the media want to talk about, make it seem so um, 
black and white. Everybody, you're good if you do this, you're bad if you don't. And then when we look at their behavior, it's like, well, wait a second, you didn't do that. And I think, mm-hmm. right, that gets to the thing is that they want to they want to pretend that they are so much better than everybody else and that they are so um, – I don't even know what the right word is, but that th- they're, you know, righteous. Th- 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 Perhaps righteous. Th- th- thank you. Appreciate it. Um, and yet you, then you go look at these folks and they don't practice what they preach. They sort of, they do these hits in the white house briefing room, wearing their masks, looking so righteous. And then the second that the camera's off, somebody photographs them taking it off. You think Carl from ABC news, you know, make a big deal out of this the other day. And then someone watches him standing in line, you know, off Pennsylvania Avenue and he's not wearing a mask, right? And so, mm-hmm. uh, and and the problem is, is that they've tried to make it such a cause, and yet when you look at them, and and it's it's like it's almost it's like faux outrage. Like they want to be so much better than everybody else, and yet when you then go look at their own behavior, it's like, wait a second, you guys don't even practice what you preach. You want to rail on everybody else, but then you don't want to do it yourselves. See, I think, and this is just my opinion, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, and I say this outside of anybody I may or may not be voting, you know, I think that attitude is pushing people towards Trump, and we're going to have another surprise victory for President Trump because it's the same moralizing that people were fed up with in 2016, just speaking from a media perspective. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the problem, the more that, that this happens, the more that the media tries to make this, you know, us against them and all that kind of stuff, people start to say, you know what, I'm just going to vote. I mean, I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. So what else? To, to, let's go inside the book a little bit. What was the, the impetus for you to do a second book and not only do a second book, but a book that really rallies around your former boss, President Donald Trump? What inspired it? Well, so it's a good question because the first book, you know, was was me and my story, my life. Yep. The second book is 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 policy. I mean, I wouldn't say policy; it's culture and society. What mm-hmm. we're dealing with these days, and I think that there's a difference, and that's why, kind of, you know, for me, it was about being able to share that experience and say, I mean, talk about big tech, big media, what's going on in in corporate America, all of these things, because that's where that's what a lot of this really comes down to, is all these folks, um, uh, is understanding how important what's going on is and why we need to um why we need to sort of explain to people what's at stake mm-hmm. you okay yeah yeah no i just i was reaching for something as we talked and knocked over a cup <laughs> that's okay keep going edit <laughs> no so anyway i i just think that like part of the the, the point of the book was to explain the totality of the forces that are occurring in in society today right and if you think about it because each instance on their own you kind of can dismiss okay i get that or that's not that big of a deal yeah once you start looking at it in its totality and saying wait a second you realize big techs against us on the right uh you know media's against us governments against us academia's against us and when i say against us right i don't someone's gonna listen and say are you going to tell me the government's against you what i mean is that it's stacked with people on the left who believe in left-leaning policies, mm-hmm. um, but you look at academia, either K through 12, or even at the higher at, at college at the college level, and it is it is stacked with people who believe in left-wing ideology, and there's a level of indoctrination that goes on sure. to support people who believe in this. And so, what I believe is that once you fully appreciate it, once you understand the totality of it, you have a much different look at how everything is working in in, in the world. 
So what is the let's talk about big tech for a second. What is the I, I hesitate to ask what is the end game? Certainly conspiracies that are real. I've talked about this actually in an interview I did earlier. Uh, certainly conspiracies that are real. You don't find out they were real until it's too late. But with big tech, what is the end game? Where, and I don't mean their end game. I mean, what is the final solution to all of this moderating of content? I mean, where do Twitter and Facebook go? Where's the end of this slippery slope for them and for the American people? Well, I, I don't know that there is an end. What I do know is that you're seeing alternatives pop up. You've got Parler, you know, which yep. is uh, and it's not even right leaning. That's the thing that people get wrong in this. It's not a right or left thing. It, it is a uh, it is a free speech thing. It is the ability to say things and not have big tech come in and censor it. And that's the difference is that it is it is it is literally um, the difference between telling people what they can and cannot do and say and believe, which is what's currently going on with respect to um, to Twitter and or being able to have the ability to have a voice. And I think that's the bigger issue. The thing that's fascinating to me is that it's not a right or a left thing. It's a free speech thing. It's the ability to actually say things and not be censored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I would but for the record, I think you and I would both be saying this if it were the other ideology. I, you know, if we lived in a world where where liberalism didn't drive, didn't drive the culture and conservatism did, I'd think the same thing. Nobody's ideas should be censored. Well, the, but the funny thing is, here's why this is so messed up. Mm-hmm. If you are a conservative. Right. Think about this. Sure. We're not out there shouting down and saying the left shouldn't have its voice. I, I've never said that. I don't know any exactly. conservative who does. It's the it's the left. These folks who claim tolerance and inclusivity that basically have taken a stance that says, you know, we, we, we want inclusivity. We want tolerance as long as you're with us. Yeah, that's quite a difference than what they want folks on the right preach. And that's why I think it's so that that part of what the goal of the book is to to let people understand that and to recognize it because mm-hmm. right now it's sort of like i always it's almost like the infomercials right where you you're selling somebody a bill of goods and until they read the fine print they don't get it and if you're kind of sitting back and you're like well, wait a second i have no problem with i mean liberals they talk about this inclusivity they talk about tolerance they want freedom and, and i think it's like yeah okay that all sounds great and then you got to pull and read the fine print which is you know, unless you don't agree with us, unless you have a discerning, a dis, dis, you know, a, a different opinion than us, it's, it's, they, they don't let you see the fine print of what they really stand for. No, and I think I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I will give this opinion. I think the reason the left has become this, what I say is, it's agree with us or else. Conservatives, it's agree with us or we don't care. Just go on living your life. What what I think has happened with the left is they've won the culture wars. I don't know anybody that that's out there now on the left or right, unless you're far extreme on the religious right, that's saying being gay is bad, being gay shouldn't happen, there shouldn't be gay marriage. They've won the social victories, and I think rightfully so, and now they just want to control everybody's thought process and political ideology. That's how I feel about it. I don't know if you agree there, but I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah, but that's, I mean, and that's kind of the the point and the theme of of, of the book is to make sure that people understand it. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand it, um, that that you don't, then you don't get it. And that's that's mm-hmm. frankly the problem is that people have to understand the, the what what is going on in in society and in culture, because it, it's sort of. Um, it's like unless if you look at each individual instance, you might say, okay, uh, what's the big deal? 
once you understand the totality of it, like I said earlier, and you go through, you know, I've been in the book, it's like you start going, wow, I didn't realize this. I mean, take late television, which I talk about extensively. It used to be that you had people like Carson and Leno that were funny, left-leaning, but funny and not political. It was sort of like mm-hmm. equal opportunity. You have Kimmel, Colbert, uh, Fallon, and and Myers, and they they just, they literally it's personal. They hate Trump, and it's very political, and they they make it political every single night. And 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 so that's my point in all this is that you recognize that it how much things have actually changed. Yeah, and that's why I go back to what I said is that. If the media is doing anything to hand him a victory, it's the constant moralizing and making it personal and not like you said. I remember I loved that era of late night when it was broad entertainment. Now that it's so political, it pushes more people away than it welcomes in. Certainly. I, I yeah, couldn't agree more. So it's, it, and that's the problem, though, is it. But but it's just, I, you know, the funny thing is that touching on one of the things you just said a minute ago. When I was on Touching with the Stars, yeah, there was a, a guy named Karamo Brown. He's a far left LBGTQ advocate, mm-hmm. uh, and we kind of struck up a conversation. And um, and in that conversation, you know, uh, we would talk about um, you know just sports, yeah. uh, families, culture, whatever, just but never political. And which is kind of what you're supposed to do in life, right? You're supposed to be able to have conversation. Not everything's. Be, political and and it's just you know you can actually have um you know a good conversation with people that you do or don't agree with but you know who cares well now it's is um that, so so when we had this conversation that we would get these headlines and the things that says you know uh, uh people would would were trying to divide us and say like Karamo Brown and Spicer have these conversations. What's wrong with America? It's like, wait a second, you preach civility until we're civil. And then you talk about how we shouldn't have it. Say that's wrong. You know, that's, and this is why I think Ellen DeGeneres, uh, see if you agree here, if Ellen DeGeneres is more conservative than she maybe is willing to say, she gets in hot water with the LGBT community too. And that whole George Bush being friends and being in the box with George Bush, she didn't back down. She said, when I say be kind to one another, I mean it. Not be kind to only the people you agree with. Yeah, but but and, and think for a second, right? It wasn't it, all it's saying is that like, hey, I just want you to be kind, to everyone, and people mm-hmm. went nuts on her. Yeah, it's, for being kind. Yeah, and then they went nuts on her for being not so kind. But that's another uh, <laughs> another issue entirely. I have to, before we let you go, I, I have two other questions for you. First, I'll do the kicker, and then we'll end on a serious note. I have to get, now we've met each other a couple of times because of my, you're at Newsmax, which is where I used to work up until just recently. But I never got your reaction. What did you think of the Melissa McCarthy impression? Did you enjoy it? Was it, uh, it certainly seemed to keep you in pop culture and you played it up on the daytime yeah. Emmys with the rolling podium. What did you make of her impression? So I think it was kind of funny at first and, you know, you got to be able to laugh at yourself and yeah. take, you know, take, take, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. And then, to, you know, to be honest with you, it just, it kind of got like mean and personal. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's her, right. But it was sort of like, it goes back to what I was saying before about late night, which is, sure. it's not, it, it, it's, it's just different. Um, and, and that's where I, you know, again, it's not that I, they, they have every right to do that, but I kind of thought to myself, like, that's just, it's 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 um 
like I said, it's not that it's it, I have a problem with it, yeah. but it's just that uh, it, it's like it just shows you back in the day, Saturday Night Live could just be funny and people laughed about it. And mm-hmm. remember, George H.W. Um, Bush invited uh, uh, what's his name, Dana Carvey to the White House and they kind of had a laugh over it. And it was funny and good and whatever. Now it's it's like mean. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting, though, because SNL has become so uh with that ideology that now with Jim Carrey doing Joe Biden and not holding back and really making Biden look like kind of the weak person that he looks like when he's out on the debate stage, the fans of SNL don't like that. And it's like, well, reap what you sell. Put a weak candidate that's easy to make fun of no matter what the party. SNL's kind of getting back to we don't care. We're going to we're going to laugh at the absurdity of it of it all. And I agree. The first Melissa McCarthy sketch was genius. The rest kind of just became ad hominem. The last thing I, I want to ask you is Dan Rather put something up. He said, these are unprecedented times. And I'm paraphrasing. And it is incumbent upon the media, the press, the journalists to frame it as such. And I sat back as somebody who works, as you know, in television and in news and said, really, is it is it the journalist's responsibility to frame a narrative at all? Or is it just to Put out the facts and stop editorializing and stop making editorializing look like facts and look like truthful reporting. What say you about the state of yeah, journalism look, today? I have two chapters on this, but you, yeah. you said it exactly right, which is like this is the, the idea. Like read the book. This is what, these, when you, what you said is what it's supposed to be. Which is here are the facts, you know. It's sort of like what's it, what's it, Sergeant Friday back in the day? It was like you know, just the facts, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now it's like no, no, no. You, I, I went back and I documented what's in um, what's in some of these journalism schools, and what they're taught. And you read the mission statements, and it says you know blah blah blah. To your you know you your job should be to make the world a better place. Now that in its face, you say okay, so what's the big deal? And you say to yourself, well, wait a second. Why is it there? Like, who defines a better place? And that's mm-hmm. the problem. If you're taught left-leaning policies are a better place, right? So you're saying that that's what makes a better place, like more more government, more taxes, the left. Then suddenly your interpretation of of the of the world is is much different. And that's my point in all of this mm-hmm. is. That you've got to understand what what left leaning means. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, you know in in, in terms of um, how journalism works. That if they're being taught to make the world a better place, and you're left leaning, and your professors are left, and your curriculum's left, and all of this stuff that you're being taught, then you say to yourself, "Oh, okay. Well, then I'm going to continue to promote this. And I'm going to talk about how folks on the right are bad, and folks on the left are good in their policy." sense and blah 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 and then you suddenly get it and you realize oh wait a second now i understand why this is so important well really important a really important book leading america no matter which side you fall on i really encourage everybody to read it perhaps it'll open your eyes to some of the good that president trump has done and to some of the bad and not so great things the media has done to sway you one way or the other sean spicer what a treat to talk to you thank you very much Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you having me. 
Spicer, of course, the former press secretary for Donald Trump, lived through the history of the 2016 election and then, of course, the infamous 2017 inauguration where he made the comment the most watched inauguration, didn't qualify it with the digital viewers, etc., etc. So quite an interesting, quite a polarizing figure, but you know we never shy away from that on Talk for Two. Well, that is it for us today. Tomorrow on our premiere week, our return week from Washington, we have Rob Paulson getting completely away from politics now in our last two, Rob Paulson. And then Friday, we got Carol Baskin. How's my Joe Exotic impression? Did I do good? Did I do well? Well, we'll see. Maybe by the time we air Carol, we will know who the next president of the United States is going to be either a second term for Trump or Biden will be number 46. Remember, you can always check out talkfor2.com for more. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at talk 2 and of course, Instagram at talkfor2pod. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com. <laughs>